This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're midway into chapter 6, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has talked about how to give, how to pray, and how to fast faithfully, with our hearts focused on the only audience, God himself. Today, Pastor will explore what Jesus teaches us about how we should govern our greed. Greed might seem like a petty sin, something you teach children about, but not something a modern adult needs to bridle. But if we're honest, we'll find that greed is so common in our lives it's become hard to notice. Jesus asks us to make some hard choices today, and so we shall. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Let's read Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, the words of Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So here is Jesus' perspective on how to govern greed. For us, obviously, he didn't have that problem. That's a problem for us. And he demonstrates to us what subjects of the kingdom of heaven should value. And he does that by presenting to us three sets of contrasts. In the first one, he alerts his audience about two opposing prospects. That's the first set of contrasts. Two opposing prospects, verses 19 through 21. He continues to confront hypocritical spirituality. So in this first set of contrasts here, he presents a common feature in every false teacher. And the common feature about every hypocritical false teacher is the love of money. And church, we know that because money usually follows the applause of people. When you want to incur or receive or gather a following, obviously money is going to follow. And that was the problem of these guys here. It's a problem for false teachers of our day too. They want everybody to think that their lavish style is a sign of divine blessing for them. And after all, the logic goes, if the Lord has blessed, them so much with prosperity, who would dare question their doctrine? So that's what Jesus is confronting here in the first set of contrasts. On the other hand, genuine righteousness cares nothing about accumulating earthly possessions for self. See, that's the problem. Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth for yourself. Now, there's value in trying to invest your money, invest your resources for kingdom advancement. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he is confronting here. He's confronting the fact that people want to accumulate earthly possessions for self. And every true believer then displays at least a desire to be trained to govern his or her greed. Because we all have greed to one degree or another. The problem is we need to keep that under control and replace it with someone else and something else, which we will talk about in a moment here. 
Now, to help his audience, therefore, understand this principle, Jesus contrasts the prospect of hoarding things on earth with the prospect of accumulating treasures in heaven. And here's how he does that. First of all, he wants us to see, according to verse 19, the deficiency of treasures stored on earth because they all fall short. Why? Because earthly possessions decay and they devalue. Furthermore, the more stuff you'll accumulate, the more you need to worry about being sued because people want to take your money, and the more you have to worry about protecting it from thieves, as well as finding space for your many toys. That is an exhausting cycle. There's a much better way to live, Jesus says. And in verse 19, he refers specifically to commodities used to store wealth at the time. He's referring to clothes and grain. Let me explain that. In that part of the world, 2,000 years ago, people valued garments made from expensive fabrics. And obviously, the ones that were sprinkled with gold valued more. And people would stockpile these expensive tunics. They would have to find a way to keep insects out because moths would come in and eat their fabric. Now, consider this. Moths, they would not come and eat your garment if you're wearing them. The problem is if you are stockpiling them in order to accumulate treasures on earth, that was the problem. Now, he is not condemning people who made an honest living dealing these things. They need it for inventory. That's not the problem. The problem is if people are stockpiling them in their homes in order to think that this is a sign of divine blessing, accumulating possessions on earth. That's what the problem is. So he's alerting his listeners here against a greedy accumulation of earthly possessions. Now, he talks about something else here that happens to earthly possessions, and that, that's rust. Obviously, we know that rust corrodes metal. But what he's doing here, Matthew is quoting Jesus using the word for rust in the original to describe actually what rodents do to grain. And that's why we say here he's using these two commodities as examples of how you would store wealth at the time. So when he says rust destroys that, he's talking about rodents to go in and eat all the grain. And obviously, we understand that rust corrodes metal too. In general, Jesus is teaching us here that almost every tangible thing to which we assign monetary value ends up losing that value over time. And we understand the reason for that. The answer to that is because according to Genesis 3, sin came into the world. And because sin came into the human existence, now death and decay follow. So from that day on, from Genesis 3 on until today, everything has an expiration date, including the present heavens and the present earth. Doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 5, 18, heaven and earth will pass away? Why? It's because everything decays and devalues over time. And in fact, when Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, we know exactly the expiration date of that. We know exactly when that is going to take place, although we don't have the calendar date. Revelation 20 verse 11 tells us that that's going to happen on the day of the great white throne judgment, when heaven and earth will pass away, and there will be no place found for them, the Bible says. But then you may come to me and say, Pastor, that's only after the thousand-year reign of Christ. I have plenty of time to accumulate toys here on the earth in the meantime. And friend, if that's your thought process, uh, allow me to show you the foolishness of that rationale. You take nothing to the afterlife. Almost certainly the day you die, somebody is going to ask, what did he or she leave behind? You know what the answer will be? Everything. <laughs> because you don't take anything with you. Now, more significantly, God wanted to teach the Exodus generation the silliness of hoarding things. Remember, Moses led him out of Egypt. Now, God had to take Egypt out of them 
And one of the ways that God did that is you will remember the, how God fed them through the wilderness. He would send manna from heaven to them. And the order was you are not to accumulate that, otherwise it will spoil. So on the day before the Sabbath, they would have to accumulate a double portion. But if they would do more than that, everything would spoil. And we know the reason for that. Again, because God wants to teach them to trust Him only. We don't need to accumulate treasures on earth for greedy purposes, but we can trust the Lord Otherwise, he will make sure that everything spoils, that everything devalues to teach us a lesson. So the principle here is this, church. Anything above and beyond basic needs should be viewed as a blessing from God, not intended to be squandered in earthly treasures. Obviously, this doesn't mean we shouldn't attempt to provide for our third and fourth generation. I want to pay for my daughter's college education and for her wedding when that day comes. And I would love to do the same for for my grandchildren one day. But that's investing in generosity. That's not accumulating treasures on earth. That's imitating our Heavenly Father from whose hands every good gift comes, according to James 1, verse 17. And speaking of up above, Jesus not only wants us to see the deficiency of treasures stored on earth, He also wants us to see, according to verses 20 and 21, the superiority of treasures stored in heaven. You see, that's the contrast. Don't accumulate treasures on earth, but instead we are to do this, store treasures in heaven. Now, contrary to earthly possessions, treasure stockpile in heaven does not decay, it does not decompose, or and does not devalue. And there's a simple reason for that, church. The reason is that there is no entropy in heaven. Nothing loses value in heaven because nothing spoils there. Now, Jesus doesn't specify what these treasures are, if you notice here with me. And he does that on purpose because we can find out by looking at what Christ values. So what does he value? Let me read a couple of verses penned by John to see if you can help me identify a pattern here. And again, we're trying to understand what Christ values because he doesn't say what these treasures in heaven are. Instead, Scripture gives us here what Christ values. So John 3.16, the first Bible verse that we all memorized when we became Christians, right? So let me read that and let's again see if we can identify a pattern. You can write them down in your Bibles. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world, not the world that's going to be destroyed, but the world of people. He so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So keep that in mind. John 14, 3. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Are you starting to get the picture now, church? Listen to this one. 1 John 5, 11. And the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So church, I suggest to you that second only to the glory of His Father, people are Jesus' most precious treasure. He came here to the earth to rescue undeserving sinners, you and me. Therefore, we are His most precious treasure, second only to the glory of His Father. Now, therefore, how do you accumulate treasures in heaven? You invest in soul winning. You spare no resource to proclaim the gospel. You do it personally, and you train other people to do the same. That's how you accumulate treasures in heaven. You line up your heart with the heart of God. And we understand clearly from the word of God that he loves people so much that he gave up his only son to die for undeserving sinners, knowing that many undeserving sinners would reject his son. But we are God's most treasured possession. Again, in in the heart of Christ, second only to the glory of his father. So Jesus concludes, therefore, the first set of contrasts here by presenting a profound 
self-evident truth, a maxim. And he says towards the end of verse 21 here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what he's saying is that we attach sentimental value to our treasure. We are emotionally attached to what we treasure. And that is the reason why Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So you see, church, the consensus of Scripture here is that we are to keep seeking things above. That is our priority. Also, to consider this. That's where you're going to spend the rest of your life, eternity. Now, we only have 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years here on earth. But once we die and our body goes to the grave, then the immaterial part of our being is going to go to eternity with Christ, those of us who have been redeemed by Christ, by His grace. And that's where we're going to spend eternity. So you see the foolishness of trying to accumulate things here on earth for somebody else to take after you, for for you to lose the value and lose your life in the process? I have unfortunately met many people who have lost their family, who have destroyed their marriage in the pursuit of earthly things. But for you, let me say this. You want to take inventory of what's really important to you? Here's how you do it. Look at your bank statement. Look at your checkbook if you still write checks. That'll tell you where your your treasure is because you invest in what you value. So Jesus then gives us the first set of contrasts here. And after alerting his audience about two opposing prospects, you know, these are conflicting prospects, accumulating things on earth and accumulating things in heaven. The second set of contrasts that Jesus gives us here, two opposing perspectives, verses 22 and 23. Now, he starts this one by presenting another self-evident truth. I hope you caught that. Another self-evident truth. But this one is in metaphoric language. Talking about eyes, lamps, and body, and all of that. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what does that mean? What Jesus is doing here, he's clarifying how people view treasure accumulation. Because that's what your eye does. Your eye Your eyes, I should say, indicate to you how you view the world. That's how you perceive things. And uh, that's a function of the eyes. What he's saying is people's perspectives determine the condition of the heart. So your worldview, church, will determine the condition of your heart. Precisely the amount of light you allow to come in. And light here is a metaphor for divine wisdom. Okay, so your perspective, your worldview will determine how you relate to accumulation of wealth here on earth. And ideally, what you want to have is the right perspective, the correct worldview, the biblical worldview. So here's the contrast here. This is a second set of contrast that Jesus presents. In verse 22, what he says is this, the right perspective brightens the heart. The right perspective brightens the heart. Keeping with the metaphor here, we can say that a clear pair of eyes filters the junk of the worldly perspective and allows divine wisdom to illuminate your life. That's what he's saying. A clear set of eyes will filter the junk from the world that is piped into our houses through our TVs, through our phones, through our iPads, and all of that. A clear set of eyes is able to filter that so that we only allow what's divine wisdom and to guide our view of accumulation of wealth. 
Now, this is a literary device that Jesus is using here. And he does this because he's the master preacher. He uses them at the right time. And he goes right to the heart of his people here, his audience. And his literary device warns us, therefore, to watch for the lust of the eyes. That's what he's saying. We are to watch for the lust of the eyes, followed by the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. That's in 1 John 2, 16. That's a problem for us. The lust of the eyes, followed by the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Why? Because we assign value to different things and ideas based on how we view the world. You understand that? That's what the metaphor is all about. For example, if in your worldview, you consider your car God's provision for you to get around, you will never overpay for the vehicle that suits your needs and the needs of your family. Now, on the other hand, if your worldview determines that your ride advertises your attractiveness, and if physical attractiveness is a top treasure for you, most likely you will pay top dollars for the car that you think communicates that, even if you cannot afford the car. That's the point here. You see how the eye guides what's in the heart? And the original word used for clear that Matthew uses here to quote Jesus can also be translated singularity of purpose. So if your eye is clear, we can say if your eyes have singularity of purpose, which sheds light again into the intention of Jesus here. And here's that intention, taking that, the, the meaning of that word to indicate singularity of purpose. We will only have the right perspective, and that is the biblical worldview on accumulation of wealth, or about greed, we should say, only if our focus is singularly pointing to God. Why, church? Because He is our treasure. If God is your most valuable possession, then your most valuable treasure, your hearts will be attached to Him. Why? Because where your treasure is there, our heart will be also, and therefore we will look nowhere else. And if your heart is in Christ, you will ask Him to filter your perspective and your worldview by the Word of God. And when you do this, then you will live a life that's full of light, full of divine wisdom. Why? Because you're allowing the light of the Word of God to illuminate your heart. Now, while the right perspective concerning greed brightens the heart, Jesus also points out in verse 23, the wrong perspective darkens the heart. You see, that is the contrast here of the two opposing perspectives. The right perspective brightens the heart. The wrong perspective darkens the heart. Now, what, what that means is that the worldly view of earthly possessions will distort all areas of your life and has the potential of destroying your family, your career, and your good name if you have the wrong perspective on that. If you get this one wrong, my friend, you are in great danger. Now, let me give you an example of this. A poorly lit and stained window does not allow enough light in to the house. Now, people inside the house make, therefore, wrong assumptions of what is outside based on a mistaken interpretation of reality. You understand that? That is what Jesus is talking about here. He wants his audience to understand that the hypocrites had a warped view of spiritual truth because of poorly lit spiritual eyes. And that's why he's saying, again, he's using them as the example because that philosophy came from them. And he's saying they think that because they have much that God is blessing them and they think that the more they have the better in terms of spirituality their error was this to perceive accumulation of stuff as a sign of divine blessing and church that has not changed for 2,000 years all that changed is the title of the guys and then that philosophy has been reinventing itself throughout the millennium and today we have similar ideas Prosperity gospel, prosperity teaching, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, all of these things. Why? Because they are a wrong view of spiritual truth. 
And therefore, these teachers from 2,000 years ago and teachers today will say, you must pursue riches at all costs. And by the way, if you give to this ministry, we'll teach you how to do it. That's how the warped view of reality goes. So what do we do then with this, church? How do we apply the biblical truth that we're just learning here? We light up our eyes and clean the stains from our lenses. We need biblical truth to penetrate our hearts so that we will understand God's view of wealth accumulation. And according to his standard here that Christ is making it very clear to us, here's how we should govern greed. You ready for this? You might want to write this down. Here's how you govern greed. You replace it with generosity. The two G's. You replace greed with generosity. Okay, you invest in people. You spare no resources to win them for Christ. And when you do, you walk with them. Now, when you embrace this strategy here, church, this is going to consume time and energy that you would have otherwise consumed in the pursuit of earthly riches. But when you pursue God's plan, when you pursue His standard, you are investing in heavenly treasures. And God takes care of your needs. He showers you with generosity so that you can accumulate treasures in heaven. And in the process, church, he will align your heart with his heart and clear up your eye to see people as his greatest treasure. What a great deal. But there's a third contrast here that Jesus presents, a third set of contrasts. After alerting his audience about two opposing prospects and two opposing perspectives concerning the accumulation of wealth, Jesus contrasts, finally, two opposing priorities in verse 24. Again, he is a master wordsmith. Jesus is the greatest preacher that ever walked the earth. And what he does here in verse 24, he presents another truth, another biblical truth, self-evident truth here. And still, he uses an illustration that was very common to his listeners at the time. And that illustration is Roman slavery. Servants belong to their masters just like every other property in their house. Now, some of these masters were so benevolent to their slaves and servants that the servants didn't want to go anywhere else. They were treated as part of the family. They were treated with dignity. Even though they were legally property of the owners, they were treated with love. And the thought of belonging to someone else never occurred to them. And these masters, therefore, received loyalty back from their servants because they treated them with such kindness. They didn't want to belong to someone else. They would rather die before moving to another household and serving another master. Now, there's something else here for us to identify. When he says that he will hate the one and love the other, that is a very common Jewish dichotomy that we see both in the Old Testament and in the New here, the love and hate kind of a thing. We can go to the book of Malachi, for example, when the Lord says, Esau I hated and Jacob I loved, for example. That is a very common dichotomy the listeners of Jesus here would have no problem understanding because you cannot serve two masters. Now, let's bring that to our reality here to accomplish what Jesus wants to accomplish with this illustration here by presenting this contrast here. Now, subjects of the kingdom of heaven, that is you and me, remember, we've been calling believers in Christ, born again believers in Christ, subjects of the kingdom of heaven. That's who we are. We are his possession. And according to the rest of scripture here, we understand that we are his most valuable possession. Everything else is going to be burned up in smokes except people. Remember, the book of Revelation chapter 20 in the great white throne judgment, there was no place found for the current heavens and earth. Only people will live forever. So how do we accumulate treasures on earth again, church? We invest in people. Whatever the cost is, we lead people to Christ. If it costs us a little bit of comfort, so be it. Let me remind you, the only reason you're here is because someone paid the price to go talk with you about Jesus Christ, whatever that price was. The risk of losing your friendship, the risk of sounding weird, the risk of uh, the awkwardness of the moment. 
So the question for us here as church, based on the 24th verse here of Matthew 6 is, why would we want to leave the house of such a benevolent master? The danger for us is not to lose our salvation. The danger for us is not to belong to someone else. We will always belong to Christ. Again, because we have the seal of ownership in our hearts, that's the Holy Spirit, that stamp that God says, he belongs to me or she belongs to me. So the risk for us is this. It's to live as if we belonged to someone else. As if we belong to those earthly possessions that we accumulate. So, church, we need to understand this. According to the words of Christ, money is supposed to serve you. Not the other way around. Money is supposed to serve you. You're not supposed to serve money. And that's the point that Jesus is saying here. That's the contrast of the two priorities. Either you will give priority to serving God, or you will give your priority to serve money and possessions. There is no in-between. It's an either-or proposition. Now, when God puts money in your account through diligent and honest work, and that's normally how He does it. He puts money in your account by honoring your diligent work. You must steward it well. You must invest in heavenly treasures, which can only be gained by gospel proclamation. And by the way, church, that is the reason why the church exists. What an opportune time to make the message of the gospel clear and say to people, there is only hope in Christ. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ. And that's the reason Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. If you are a hard worker and if you are a wise investor, go ahead and enjoy the fruit of your labor. But remember, replace greed with generosity. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. We're looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.